Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined today by Adrian Martini. Hello, Adrian. Hello, Sarah. And you are fresh off of a trip to Pittsburgh. How you doing? I am. Yeah. I'm doing good. I'm tired, though. I, uh, so from here, it's about a seven-hour drive. Yeah. Um, and my dad is from Pittsburgh. That's uh-huh. the Pittsburgh side of the family. So uh-huh. we drove down Thursday. Oh, how um, nice you took him out. with you. Oh, I, oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He currently lives across the street, so it makes it a lot easier. I know. And I saw all... I saw on Instagram, I was like, I, I'm pretty sure that's Adrian's dad. Yes. And then I'm like, but he lives across the street from her. What's he doing in Pittsburgh? Yes. Uh, so he came with me. And that way, too, we can share the driving. Um, although I wound up driving the whole time anyway, because I don't really mind driving. So um, oh. as you can attest. Good. Yeah, I know. Um, Good. Yeah, exactly. Boston to Syracuse. Yeah. Yes. Um. So he came down with me Thursday. We spent with family kind of eating everything that wasn't nailed down. Um, Friday was expo. Saturday was expo. Sunday was the race. Then Sunday evening, we were invited to a dinner um, because my cousin's on the board of a museum in town. Um, And the museum is a museum of music machines, like music boxes, but giant. Wow. Yeah. Calliope's? um calliopes there i love that word yes it's (laughs) a good word to use it very often (laughs) yes um there was a whole i can't even begin to tell you it's um yeah yeah it was just a head scratcher um it's not my thing but watching people who are really excited about something talk about something they're excited by is fun yeah and music Um, machine that's an that's a phrase i don't believe i've ever heard that is the phrase that they use because there's really no good way to really describe it otherwise. Okay. They're kind of the, like player pianos mm-hmm. would be a music machine and they mm-hmm. had two of those. Okay. Um, but also anything that uses like the, the big discs that, you know, those little oh. tiny music boxes with mm-hmm. the disc that kind of little plucks the pins that oh, make individual I loved, notes. I still have my favorite music box from when I was a child. It plays wow. Edelweiss. Yeah. I, oh, well, there I, you go. I need to go find that thing because I love the heck out of that thing. <laughs> um, and it was a big German thing, too. Funny you should mention Edelweiss. Uh-huh. Um, and the guy who started the collection, the collection is in the house that he built. Oh, in Russian, which... you call that a dome musée. Which okay. Means house museum. Mm-hmm. Well, there yeah, you go. There's a lot of them but in the, Russia. Mm-hmm. The house itself is also a museum. Um, mm. because he decided to make it as look as much like something from the Black Forest as he possibly could. Oh Germany. my gosh. Sure, um, Bavaria. It, uh-huh. it, it, it's very Bavarian. There's lots of woodwork. Um, the dude built a cave under his house, like a Stop. cave with stalactites and stalagmites. <laughs> and I know um, the difference between those, okay. Um, yes, so, but yes. wait, how does, how does one build a stalactite and you know, um, I mean, one uses a lot of concrete, apparently. Oh, okay, concrete. Okay, so it's not yeah. like drip, drip, drip of. Um, no, mm-hmm. no, that would be cool. Lime. Uh-huh, yeah. Take much longer. Um, <laughs> no, right. uh, this man is seven thousand years old. Yes. He's been working on the <laughs> yes. cave. Um, so he was an eclectic guy who mm-hmm. collected these music machines and like the house and the the music box. I mean, it's just a whole experience. <laughs> Um, festival of oddities it really was but it was awesome it was weird and amazing how's that i'll put it that way um it's very much like the house on the rock um in the midwest where it's just this very strange collection of things collected by somebody who was a little 
off center mm-hmm. himself. So, mm-hmm. um, so that was fun. And then we drove back on Monday. And uh-huh. then, of course, all of the things that I usually do in a weekend didn't get done. So sure. I'm just kind of scrambling to try and yep. get back on top of everything. Yeah. Um, yep, yep, but yep. it was a great race. Had a great time. Yeah, you posted uh, some fun with pictures with Marianne. Yes. <laughs> those yes, were, those Marianne, Lloyd, and I. And got to hang out with Dimity for a while, which is always nice. And Coach yep. MK and Amanda. Um, mm-hmm. And Meredith, who yep. was... Uh, gunning for a good race, and I think had one. Yeah, she did. She PR'd. I want to say by a minute, ten seconds. Wow. I don't know something. So yeah. and yeah. So and she is the Chalkley again to to bring up my best friend. Um, she is making a a film, a short film, a promotional film about another mother runner, and so she wanted to follow a mother runner who had done right. train like a mother plan and then was racing, and so she focused on Meredith, and then for Meredith to have such a great race. I mean, that was. Is- yeah, awesome. Icing. Yep. Yeah, icing yeah. on the cake. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a really, it was a good race, and I'll be writing more about it, I think, for a post on Monday. So. Oh, good. Um, good. But I know you had a busy weekend as well. Yeah, so we were, uh, AMR was bi-coastal this weekend. Um, so <laughs> even though I wasn't on the coast, and Pittsburgh is inland by six hours. It's not but, coastal. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so kind of. And uh, so I was in Eugene, Oregon, Tracktown, USA. And so it, for the Eugene Marathon and at that expo and um, got to run, I guess I put in about 15 miles while I was down there. I ran on Saturday oh, wow. morning and then ran 10 on Sunday. And um, the course, it's a fabulous, fabulous race. It's not, not all that big. It's a great size. It's big enough to, to keep you going, but not big enough to feel crowded. And so the course is not closed. And um, a lot of the marathon... Yeah, the second half of the marathon is along this lovely trail on both sides of the Willamette River. And so I, you know, it's open. So I went running on that same trail, knowing that I was on about from mile 17 to 25 of the course. And but I knew what time the race started. I knew what time I was running. So I knew I'd be ahead of the the lead runners. But as Mm -hmm. I went through and there were a couple of spectators because the guys, the top runners were coming through before too long and I would say to all of them jokingly like I'm not the lead woman I'm not the lead woman <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then a lot of them would cheer for me anyway and I'd right. ham it up so I, I love to be a good ham on a run so right. um and did yeah. they point out you looked awfully fresh <laughs> and uh, maybe a little larger than they expected well, the lead yes. woman to be. <laughs> so um so yeah, so that was fun. And then uh, Saturday, um, if the weather holds, I will be at Hippie Chick, which is a local race that I've done many, many times. There's actually a picture of me from um, 2010. It was I, maybe it might have been like the first race expo I ever went to. And uh, when Run Like a Mother came out and selling two shirts and had a um, uh, pillowcase that Phoebe had painted. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, oh, and I was just so proud. Um, right. So, but that is, that's outdoors. Uh, the, like, it's a post-race party where the selling goes on. And if it's mm. going to be like super windy and rainy. Oh, mm, dear. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to play that one by year. So, um, yeah, no, no, no. So very busy. And then the weekend after that is Ogden Marathon. Then, um, Happy Girls out in Bend, then Zuma Half Marathon in Annapolis. So I got, um, I'm a expo, expo gal. Yep. 
Yep, yeah. yep, yep. Yeah, but I know that you've been uh, watching some TV. I have been watching TV. And, <laughs> oh my gosh, oh my gosh. So, okay, so had to talk middle of the night. I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to talk about Victorian Slumhouse on, right. on PBS. And I, just, I want you to know it's on my DVR. Okay. I just haven't quite had a chance to watch it yet. Okay, so. it is so awesome. It is. Yeah. It is. I mean, it is just the type of stuff that I eat up and Molly. I mean, like, oh, yes. it's history. Yes. It's reenactment. It's people who are passionate about this. Right. And these people. So and it's it's in. Go ahead. I was going to say, I love like all the other ones they've done, like Manor House. Oh. And they did one in Texas. Oh. And, you know, I mean, like, I love these things. So. Oh, my gosh. And Pioneer House. And yes, I mean, that, that must that, be that, the that, one in Texas. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that the fam, oh, my gosh, that, that one family was from Malibu, California, right. you know, which is, like, so she-she, and so then they totally went out and, like, like brought in a mattress to the, right. this was in Pioneer House, and right. I was, like, busted! <laughs> well, and the fact that they wouldn't give up their makeup, like, that oh, was going to so, be a deal-breaker. Yeah. That's, that's so funny, because one of the women, um, I, this isn't a huge spoiler, but in uh, episode two of Victorian Slumhouse, uh, a new uh, brother-sister who are quite young, they're Irish, They because um, Victorian Slumhouse is set in London, and so they come on, and um, she has eyelash extensions, and oh wow! So, so it's just, and I mean, these people. I mean, in true British TV fashion, there is no glamour. You know, the, right. the, these people, right. their hair is, I mean, so just disheveled, and they are in these authentic clothes. And right. oh my gosh! And it is, I mean, it's fascinating and just a- appalling what people lived through. Oh yeah, and yeah. persevered. I mean, I mean th- th- yeah. that was that was what I was saying to Jack. So they what they do is they start in eighteen. It's a fi- I believe there's five episodes, and they start in eighteen as if it's eighteen sixty. They don't really start in eighteen sixty. <laughs> uh, they they make the situation. They recreate a slum house. It's not as crowded. There's not as many families as there, or people as there normally would be. And I think they hopefully deloused before you know all well, the stuff that they brought in. Yeah. I mean. I, I tweeted that I think I got lice just from watching it. Right. I mean, it, was, it felt so authentic. So, um, so, the, but each week it's, um, you know, so the first week was 1860. Now it's in the 1870s. And oh, so okay. that you can see how things change, you know, that machinery came in and, um, you know, newspapers and kind of people found their voice and women's suffrage and things like that. So, um, so now I've totally lost my, what I was thinking about. Okay. So you woke up in the middle of the night. Oh yeah. So yeah. So, but, but, but yeah, so that, but I just, what amazes me is how into this the the people are and people bring their kids on and the kids seem totally game. And like one of the families, you know, they all, most of the people's motivation is to feel how the, and I remember what my point is and I'll get back to it, that they, um, want to know what it was like for their ancestors. Right. And so this one family, it's a grandma, grandpa, um, mom who um, doesn't have a, a spouse. And then the two kids. And then the two kids are like, oh, yeah, we came on because granny wanted to do this. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> my kids love my my mother, but they'd be like, yeah, no, grandma, you yeah, go no. do that yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, You're on these, your own on this one. <laughs> these kids have to work and they have to right. like, sl- oh my gosh. And the most, the most shocking thing I have to tell you is, um, they have, um, they show, I can't even understand what word they're saying, but it's basically like the equivalent of if you can't even afford your own room that you go to this, you know, you can pay to sleep in this one place and you can either get the semblance of a bed or they have a rope that is hung across the room 
and people right. would stand slumped over the rope and sleep. Oh my gosh. And and they call it like the drunk rope or something like that. Right. And it's just like, I mean, I can feel the blood being stopped and pooling under my yes. armpits when oh. I think about laying over this oh. thing. And so, I mean, it is... I, there there are shocking moments there are like i reach out and finally john my son it's like mom stop grabbing my leg <laughs> that's my thing like when i'm like no yes that's john's hardship yeah, is yeah, that he keeps right, getting grabbed right <laughs> right, right that's the I, but the, the, i know what i was gonna say which is that you watch this and you just think there's no there's so little joy there's so little light yeah. or quiet yeah. Or food, yeah. you know, like, so not yes. even like the basics, but also just the any shred of enjoyment in life. Right. And so the, the you know, they're like, oh, well, you know, so if they can't do this, you know, then they're going to die. And I'm sort of just like thinking, well, I don't know, like life didn't seem really all that worth <laughs> living back <laughs> that then. That seems like a reasonable option. <laughs> I <know>. so, <laughs> so I've learned something. I, I, I always say that when I watch or read dystopian things, I'm like, oh, I'm so right. not a survivalist. Like, l- let the nuclear bomb take me out. Yes. Because I yeah. am not going to propagate the human race. And, I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and seemingly, also, I would not have been good if I'd been born earlier because I would have been like, I'm, I'm out. I'm all, yeah. I'm <laughs> so, so anyway, but I will not be able to watch television this evening because I'm once again going out for live entertainment. Oh, it's crazy. I am. It's I crazy. am. And I and uh, I, we're going to get to our guests in a second, but um, I'm going to see Amy Mann this evening. <gasps> yeah. Oh. You're a fan. I am a huge fan. Oh, I've seen her. Now ref- I'm a little bitter. Yeah, little bitter. <laughs> I've seen her yeah. before in concert, and she is just fantastic. Yeah. I just admire the heck out of her. She has such great stage presence, such a great right. live singer, and um, so and I the ticket was a little bit more than I would have liked to pay because I didn't. I had to buy it on a secondary market. I didn't know when it came out, mm-hmm. so so I couldn't find anybody to go with me. So I'm going to the concert by myself. And no, I'm, and that's good too. That's yeah. also big fun. Yeah, yeah. and it's because yeah. it's not like you really talk to people during a concert. No. Yeah, no. so I can do this i can do this yeah 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 Yeah. all right well adrian and i are excited to talk with our guest today she's food writer and cookbook author melissa clark who is a staff reporter for the new york times food section where she writes the popular column a good appetite melissa has a fabulous new cookbook out called dinner changing the game we'll chat food cooking and running with melissa after this quick break stay with us Melissa, welcome to the show. And I'm going to admit at the outset, I'm a massive fan. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) So when I tweeted you an invite to be a guest on our podcast, it was based solely on your new book. And then I was delighted to find out that you're a mother runner. So I am. Yeah. So tell, tell us about your family and your running. Well, I have been running, my gosh, I've been running for 30 years. I have running is is just this um, entrenched part of my life. It is it's my my me time. It's my therapy. You know, it's me getting out into the world. It's it's being in touch with my body. I started running when I was seventeen, and I remember I wa- I started running because I wanted to lose weight. That was the initiative, and um, I remember my friend saying, "She's like, just don't think of it as you know an exercise or something you have to do. Just think of it as twenty minutes of you being alone. You know, out in the park. It was um, I was living on the Upper West Side, so it was in Central Park." And those were the magic words. This was me time. And I just, I fell in love with it. 
And um, I've been doing it ever since. I don't, I, I'm not competitive. You know, this is something I do for me. I do, I really like to run by myself. It's about being in my own head and also about being in the park, you know, being, which is as close to nature as I can get. <laughs> and um, I have, I've run through many injuries. I just keep doing it. And uh, I hope to, I hope to do it for the rest of my life. I really, I look forward to running and I look forward to getting faster too. You know, I've never cared about speed. And now that I'm in my forties, I'm sort of interested in going a little bit faster than an 11 minute mile. So we're going to, I'm going to work on that. Oh, so, so well, a couple things out of that one, I'm very impressed that at age 17, you wanted to be alone and that you craved me time. Um, I mean, teenagers are self-centered, but like, I don't know, I don't see it as being like, oh, I think I'll go, you know, be, be alone with my thoughts for 20 or 30 minutes. So, um, you must have been a very mature teenager. And, uh, um, I was was definitely a weirdo kid. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I can't imagine my daughter ever doing that, but you never know. Right, 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 right. So, and oh my gosh. So, okay. So you want to get faster as you, you know, are approaching 50. So what are, what are your plans for that? And um, I, I don't want to discourage you, but, you know, like, it, it's a shame you didn't have that idea like 10 years ago or something. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, here's what happened. So I um, was oh, I was always a runner. I had my daughter and I had my daughter eight years ago or mm-hmm. eight and a half years ago. And that's when my husband started running. He never ran a day in his life. He was, <laughs> you know, always poo pooed the idea. But I he and I would run together just a little bit. And then as soon as I had my daughter, he was like sort of had this midlife crisis of, oh my God, um, I'm going to go away for a run now and I'm not bringing, you know, any technology so you cannot reach me. And he would always say he would run away from us, but then he would run home. So, um, but the thing is he discovered that he was super fast, just naturally super fast. And he became this crazy marathoner and he, he ran Philly in, may I say, he, he's a master runner because yeah. he's in it, you know, in his 40s. He ran Philly in 238. Oh, yeah. my husband. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, yeah. We have to hate your husband. Oh, my gosh. Right. Yes. Yeah, he just did that. I mean, he trained for it. He took it really seriously. He tried. But so since he got into, you know, marathoning and speed, that's when I started getting getting interested in the idea of, you know, again, like I said, running faster than an 11 minute mile. So um, he's been teaching me about intervals. So I've been doing, uh-huh. you know, I've been trying to do some fast intervals. Uh-huh. And um, and so that's my, and I don't, again, I don't really care about getting that much faster, but it's like, it's a nice way to challenge myself. And mm-hmm. because um, it's just me and my my fancy watch, you know, I, no one has to see, I can delete the ones that don't work. (laughs) (laughs) But, but so despite all that, you still, though, you were very adamant in an email that you do not race. Do you feel that maybe, because I mean, if you raced, it would help you get faster because you'd have that impetus to, to keep up with people or catch, catch them up. I know. I think I, I don't know. I, I, I do have a fantasy. Um, so there's, you know, every Thanksgiving, there's a turkey trot. Uh-huh. So there's a little, you know, 5k. Uh-huh. So I, I'm, I'm thinking of running that in, um, in November. Mm-hmm. And then I have this fantasy, not this May, because I'm actually getting it over, I'm getting over an injury right now. But a year from May, so a year from now, I want to run um, the Brooklyn half. That's like my big goal. Oh, so I have right. a year, you know, as soon as I get over this injury, I'll have about a year to trade for it. And uh, I mean, there's, I will be I will be 50 then. So a lot of people celebrate 50 with a uh, with a marathon. And for me, I'll try it with a half marathon if I can do it. Yeah. And I've heard incredible things about the Brooklyn half, too. It's such a beautiful course. I I mean, it feels like home to me because I grew up in Brooklyn and I know the course really well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you end Um, up at the beach. 
which is even better. Yeah. The beach, Brooklyn. I always think of the beach when I think of Brooklyn, you know. <laughs> oh, Coney Island. Yeah, there's some. <laughs> oh, I guess I didn't know that. Co- is Co- I guess I didn't know that Coney Island yeah, is in Brooklyn. Yeah. Yep, right at the end, right at the end. All right. Yep. Remember that New York is a is an island more or less. So Oh, I do. There's... Oh, I'm I'm aware of that and I've certainly <laughs> I've run, you know, for a person who has never lived there. I've run in New York a fair bit, but and run along the water, but um I don't think of I I've been to the I think I've been to Coney Island and um I don't know. I grew up in Stanford, Connecticut, so I've I've been in and around the city enough, right. but yes. Well, those are all wonderful goals to have and and so and so your husband's coaching you is that your he's giving you right now advice. that's how that's how it goes yeah mm-hmm. but uh, you know um I think about you know maybe trying to train once I really get serious about training if I really decide to do this mm-hmm. this half a marathon I will find a running partner because I think that and so that's something that you do right I mean that mm-hmm. the running partner is an important oh yeah a <laughs> uh, uh, best yeah. running friend is your best piece of equipment for sure yeah um uh well excellent yeah so and do you have some people in mind or you're just gonna throw the net wide open and start asking coworkers and neighbors and things like that? Um, I have a few people in mind who I, who I see running as slowly as I do in the park, who I know, <laughs> but you know, you have to approach them lightly. Right. <laughs> it's right. very, it's a delicate thing. Right. Like, can't hey, really you want to train with... for a half marathon with me? You know? right. Can't really start with, Hey, you look slow. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh um, just to kind of change tack here a little bit um so cooking changing the game is your 38th cookbook it it seems that's crazy um (laughs) it seems to be aimed at busy cooks like many mother runners um what's the motivation behind the book and how did you decide which recipes to include well you know i have a column in the new york times every wednesday called a good appetite and Every single week, I get the same kind of feedback from people. You know, they want recipes for easy but interesting dinners that they can mm-hmm. make after work or they can make for the, their families or for themselves. Every single person who contacts me is busy, you know. And the refrain that I hear over and over again is that dinner is overwhelming. And and also, it, it seems like at about 4 o'clock every day, there's this sort of collective sigh in the world where everyone goes, oh, my God, I have to make dinner. What am I going to make for dinner? It's almost as if they've never done it before. <laughs> of course, you know, people say, oh, my God, dinner. I just did that last night. I have to do that again tonight. People still hungry. Exactly. I said you yesterday, you want more food. But, I, you know, and I can, I can understand because it's the same thing, you know, for me, it's like we're all so crunched for time. And since it is my job and I'm a professional, I, I think really hard about what makes sense for people to make after work for dinner, but also what's delicious. You know, what's mm-hmm. going to be thrilling to make too? Because part of cooking is not just, you know, the nourishment, but it's also, you know, the enjoyment and the love. You mm-hmm. want to cook something delicious to feed the people around you. Mm-hmm. They like you more too if you do that. And right. you, you're happier too because you're feeding your body in a way that feels good on so many levels. You know, emotionally, you're finding joy. You are, you know, enjoying the process. You are eating something delicious. That's a good feeling. And so that was the impetus to write this book, which, I, you know, I do it for my column once a week, but for this book, what I, I decided, you know, my column is far ranging. You know, I might do a dessert. I might do a breakfast. Mm-hmm. For this book, I decided I'm just going to focus on dinner and I'm going to find over 200 recipes. I'm going to create over 200 recipes 
that people can make on a daily basis that are easy, that don't mess up your kitchen, you know, very few pots and pans because <laughs> right. I'm obsessed with quick cleanup. I can't stand, you know, I, you don't want to spend as long cleaning up as you spend cooking. Exactly. And that are also interesting and flavors that people wouldn't necessarily think to put together themselves. Well, I definitely felt that way. I, I told you the other day that I was making the um, quesadillas with the poblanos and the black beans and the smoked mozzarella and the smoked mozzarella, you know, you th- when I think of mozzarella, you know, I think Italian food is probably a lot of people do. And so to put it on, you know, largely Mexican dish, I was like, oh, okay, that sounds interesting. And oh, it was so tasty. And just oh, good, good, yeah. good. Yeah, the smoky thing is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very good. It was very good. Yeah. So so before I go on a run, I sometimes don't feel like going, but when I return, I'm always glad that I did. And I often feel the same way about cooking, that I dread making dinner. Like you talked about that four o'clock, oh, got to make dinner again. But yet once I get into it, I'm reminded how much I enjoy the process. And do you think I'm alone in that feeling? Oh, I think that is the feeling. You know, I think people forget that, you know, especially people forget because we're pulled in so many directions Mm -hmm. and we feel like, oh my gosh, we have to be doing, you know, the same, it's the same exact thing with going for a run. I should be working. I should Mm -hmm. be, you know, calling my mother. I should be answering (laughs) my emails (laughs) and you forget, but, but I think, and I think cooking and running, I mean, for me, I, I embody it because these are the two things. These are my two, these are my me time. They're my enjoyment. And I, claim that running time. I'm like, I am going to run because I need it for me. It's the same thing with cooking mm-hmm. with the added bonus of it also feeds the other people in my house. Right, but right. cooking, if you, you just have to get it, you have to remind yourself. I mean, and it's true. It's just a daily reminder. I like this. Remember, this is, this can be therapy. This, mm-hmm. I always say, make the, your dinner preparation time, the best time of your day, you know, mm-hmm. make it either Bring the people you love into the kitchen with you so that you can talk to them. You can listen to music together. You can help your kids with their homework. Um, you know, sometimes my husband will read to me. He'll read me the newspaper. Oh. Or if you're, or get everybody out of the kitchen and take the time right. as your serenity time and like be in your moment with yourself and have a moment of calm before dinner, like whatever works for you. But just give yourself permission to make it about you. Yeah, I got to say that I'm glad right. to hear you give the the opposite of that because I forget um I forget what show I heard you on, but you were talking about the, you know, how much you enjoy the time with your family when you're cooking and I'm like, "Oh, I'm such a mean mom because all I think is, could you just leave me alone? I just want to listen to this <laughs> podcast. I just want to listen to NPR for a little while, not pause it 20 times." And exactly. Yeah, yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We have a uh really long, narrow kitchen. So if anybody's in there with you, you're just always playing this little dance, trying to get out of each other's way. So I'm very much a, please leave me alone. Just leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not feeling like waltzing your, tonight. Your, your kitchen is suited for you. That's good. Yes. Um, yeah, no, we have a big open kitchen, so it's easy for, you know, for all of us to be in there at the same time. Yeah, and you also have one child so that there's not that bickering thing that that is just so that delightful. That makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a big difference. So, you know, her big thing is she wants, she actually would like us to go away so that she could just sit and read, <laughs> and read her book. And, you know, we just insist on talking to her. We're so annoying. But, uh, but you know, she's um, she, at age eight, is a burgeoning runner. That little kid oh, is I fast. So nice. Yeah, she, she runs circles around me, literally, oh, awesome. and loves it. So awesome, awesome. Um, so I find that I really get into ruts when it comes to dinner. Um, 
you know, we have taco night every week just because it requires the least amount of, of thought and focus on my part. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you, you encourage people to get into unknown terrain? Um, and do you have any advice for folks who might be on a, a meal repeat cycle? I think we're all on a meal repeat cycle. I think that that's the norm. I think that we, you know, getting into these dinner ruts, you know, and they're not necessarily ruts until you're tired of them. I mean, doing dinners over and over again, if you're enjoying them, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you feel fatigued by the idea of taco night again, that it's a problem or, you know, that thing that you do with the chicken. Oh my God, we're doing that thing. My mom's making that thing with the chicken. She always makes again. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that's when, you know, that's when you really do need to turn. I mean, you need to, get online and look for new recipes. You need to buy my book, for example, but you (laughs) You might as well plug it here. But no, I mean, and I think that the key thing is to find reliable sources that you can turn to over and over again. Find the person whose cooking style matches what you want to eat and then stick to that. Like, okay, you know, I mean, so many of my friends say that they, they don't know what to make for dinner and they'll just, they'll just Google Melissa Clark, chicken, um, <laughs> garlic, <laughs> and they're like, okay, well, here's what, here's what, the, you know, and then I'll, they'll, they'll, it'll be a bunch of ideas. So I say, do that, you know, just find your source, whoever it is, just yeah. Google their name with whatever ingredients you have in the fridge. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh, that's very clever. So, uh, an entree is a winner for me when it has a different taste in every bite, and that um, black bean and roasted poblano quesadillas totally fit the bill for that one um with the roasted chilies the lime the smoked mozzarella like i mentioned i loved that the onions were a little bit browned um so what goals do you aim for in a recipe that's exactly that's actually a really good way to say it um i do think that every bite should be a little bit different i think that it gets boring to eat the same like a meatloaf for me Uh, or mac and cheese yeah it's it becomes you know you i can eat three bites and then i'm done because Mm -hmm. there's nothing to keep me there's mm-hmm. something to keep me going. So I'd like to have, I'm, I think a big important part of it is to have, um, you know, the different elements, but also garnishes are so mm. important. And because when you throw different garnishes on, that really helps each part of the dish taste a little different. I'm big on using a lot of fresh herbs, you mm-hmm. know, herbs, whole herbs, especially, or torn, you know, not finely chopped. You want them in big textural pieces because you also want to have texture. In addition to flavors, um, mm-hmm. flaky sea salt makes a big mm. difference because you have salt in your recipe. But, you know, if you have like crunchy salt on top, you get this burst of salt flavor. You get this crunch and that keeps it interesting. Mm. Um, a little bit of olive oil, a little bit of vinegar or lemon juice. All of these things are super simple. Just throw them on at the end or some chili powder. Mm-hmm. But they keep they make each bite different. They add a lot in terms of the first thing that you taste, you know, mm-hmm. if you don't garnish a dish, you, you taste, you taste like the sort of the dish all unto itself. Mm-hmm. And then the flavors, you know, get a little bit dull. But if you're putting all these fresh things on, then the first thing before you even like one of my favorite things to do with mac and cheese is to garnish it with hot sauce or sriracha mm-hmm. or lime mm-hmm. juice. Mm-hmm. And then I have that bite and that flavor first before I get to the, you know, the sort of carbohydrate cheesiness of the mm-hmm. dish. And that really keeps <laughs> right. it it keeps it alive, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you can do that with anything, any, any dish you're making. Um, one trick that I say to people is if you have spices in the dish, mm-hmm. save some of those spices and then add them as a garnish so that you have the flavor of the combined spices in the dish, you know, like if you're making a curry or something, but then just have some of that curry powder or whatever on the side at the end and then sprinkle it on top. 
And that makes a huge difference. And it doesn't actually take any work. Right, right. Right. And it's kind of that upfront that, that, you know, that, oh, okay, you, it's pleasant right from the get go and, and kind of keeps pulling you into it. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So many of your recipes seem to appeal to everybody in the family. So how do you find meals that all family members will eat? You know, my daughter keeps changing. She's eight years old. And I just, I wish she would just make up her mind about what she likes and what she doesn't, but it's right. just constantly changing. So, well, on the, and on the one hand, that also means I don't have to, you know, I can keep bringing things back and, you know, maybe she will like them because that has happened. Um, used to be, she wouldn't eat any stewed meats, but now stewed meats are a-okay and right. fish, which used to be okay is now not okay. So I, I don't, I, I feel like, it's a fool's errand to try to please every single person sitting around your table. But if you can please yourself first and then maybe most of the other people, then you're good. Um, we, I'd like to have, I mean, we all love salad. So this is a good thing. So I always have a big, huge salad. And then um, there's usually something on the table. You know, if you know that your kids or your husband or whatever isn't going to eat, you know, the, the chicken Parmesan because they don't want the tomatoes on it or whatever it is. So take part of it out and just leave that on the side or scrape. I'm a sauce scraper. I'll scrape the sauce <laughs> off something for her. And, and, you know, worst comes to worst, she'll eat the salad and she can have toast. <laughs> There's oh, always right. toasted peanut right. butter that is, and I don't mind, you know, if she eats toasted peanut butter and salad once a week for dinner, I think Man. that's perfectly yeah. fine. Yep. <laughs> Let the meat As toast. for my husband, he could always order it now. I mean, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's good. We, we both mostly like the same things. Um, he doesn't eat dairy, so I usually put, if there's something with a cheesy component, I'll put that on the side for myself. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, so for me, it's often meal planning that wears me down, not so much the cooking as I've kind of alluded to. And so what advice do you have for someone like me that just the, oh, got to, you know, figure out on Monday morning when I go to the grocery store or whenever it is, like how to plot out that week of meals? Well, first thing I say to people is to always have a stocked pantry mm -hmm. full of condiments. And I really, I am a big believer in condiments because I feel like if you have, if you know that you have the basic building blocks for flavor for your meal, you know, you've got your spices, all kinds of interesting spices. I, you have to have lemons in the fridge, really good olive oil. You need to have vinegars, soy sauce. Um, I have a chapter in my book about building up your pantry. Mm -hmm. Then it doesn't matter what you get because you're going to have the tools to make it delicious. So you could go to the store and you could have no idea what you want for dinner. You know, you need vegetables. So you buy whatever it is and you know, okay, maybe you want a protein. So you can pick up something and you don't have to know how to combine them. I think that you can mm -hmm. do when you get home, as long as you have the flavor palette from which to work. Um, and I mean, it's always a good idea to have, you know, you, you should have pasta because mm -hmm. um, if worse comes to worse, then you can, you know that you can always, I always say if you have pasta and you have like a big head of leafy green vegetables, you're good. Right. You've got, you know, because you, you're going to have garlic, you're going to have onions, probably have olive oil, maybe Parmesan. You know, you have enough stuff to in the pantry to make a delicious, you know, one of my favorite, I don't know what to make for dinner is pasta with anchovies and kale. Mm -hmm. And I use a ton of kale with it and a lot of anchovies, some chili flakes some garlic. It's got a lot of flavor. It's super easy. And because I'm using so much of the green vegetable, it's like, it's, it, it's, it has a lot of, um, nutritive value aside from, you know, the satisfying pasta mm -hmm, flavoring. Mm -hmm. And does, will your eight-year-old daughter eat that? I mean, my kids. Yeah, she will. Wow. She my... will. We, hmm. You know what? She doesn't eat the kale part. She oh, just it's not the, the kale. It's the anchovies that are 
Oh, big... yeah, don't tell them. Oh, don't tell them. Yeah. <laughs> don't have her listen Once to the show. Up, no, yeah, don't, yeah, if they've listened to the show, tell them you didn't put the anchovies in this time. Because they melt, you know, they melt into the sauce. They, they completely yeah, they just, dissolve. Yeah. You know, put a couple. Don't put that many. When using anchovies, I always say, you know, start out slow. Add just a couple for complexity. You know, you're not, it's not like about it tasting like anchovies so much as anchovies sort of reinforcing the flavor of everything else that umami thing see yeah. I, I i i'm like yeah i could tell I, like melissa's selling me on this but then i'm like oh but i'm the one doing it so i'm gonna know they're in there like if i could have like an assistant come in and chop them up <laughs> while, I'm like, you know, while i'm looking down switching podcasts or something right. you know right maybe have alex move in right, and right. Can be the anchovy guy. yeah <laughs> okay well skip the if you i mean if you're not an anchovy person skip the anchovies use extra garlic okay. and some do you like parmesan a little oh, parmesan yeah gosh like, i love parmesan. The, yeah, yeah so it's okay. the same it's the same principle Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, so I think that I'm a pretty good cook. I've been told that I'm a pretty good cook and I'm not tooting, uh, you know, singing my own praises here, but I can get it done. The problem is everybody says that they have this go-to roast chicken um, in their pocket. Like every good cook should be able to roast a chicken. I cannot roast a chicken to save my life. <laughs> oh, that's um, funny. <laughs> It's the weirdest thing ever. It's either I can't get it cooked all the way through um, or I have cooked it so far because I'm concerned about getting it cooked all the way through that I have now made a chickeny brick. So <laughs> um, do you, what are your hints and tips for chicken roasting? Um, okay, well, chicken, I do believe that roasting a chicken is one of those things that once you figure it out, it's just you won't have to worry about it again because you'll, you'll yeah. realize like, Oh, okay. I got it. I got it. Um, So some of my tricks are use a smaller bird if you can find it. I think it's harder. A lot of the chickens that we get these days are five pounds. And that's I know. It's crazy. And Yeah. yeah, it's really, I mean, that's a lot of chicken. Which is great if you have a big family, but it also, I think they're trickier to cook. Um, So if you can find a smaller bird, it will cook more evenly. Um, I have a recipe in my book for simplest roast chicken. It's just salt and Mm -hmm. pepper. And um, I season it ahead. If you can do that, if you could just put even just salt and pepper on your chicken ahead. And then the trick is put it in your fridge uncovered. Mm. And that way it allows the skin to dry out a little bit. And the drier your skin, your chicken skin is when it goes in the oven, the crispier it will become, which is really great. So you get that like crispy, salty chicken skin, which I think is the best part. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's one thing. And then if you do have a big bird, it's worthwhile learning how to spatchcock it. And spatchcocking sounds like, oh my God, what is that? But it's just it's basically cutting your, your chicken along the backbone. You just use a pair of kitchen shears. It's really easy. You just cut it along the backbone and you basically open your chicken like a book. And you have this, this not a sentence you hear every day. Okay. Open your chicken like a book. And you know, it's, it's okay. It sounds really weird on a podcast, but you should just Google how to spatchcock a chicken. There'll be a little video that'll pop up. It'll probably probably be you. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Doing it. It, it might. No, there are a lot of people who've done it. So, and, um, and it's super. And then what's so great about it is that so when your chicken, instead of having this cavity, you know, when your chicken, normally you have the cavity inside the chicken, and then it's hard to cook evenly because that air inside the cavity sort of insulates the bird, right? Mm-hmm. But if you open it up and you're pressing it, the entire bird on the, your, your pan, you get a lot better air circulation. You mm-hmm. get 
a bird that cooks more evenly. So you don't have to worry about, you know, like, oh, the thighs aren't done, but wait, the breast is too much done. Right, and the thighs right. are kind of pink in the middle. And you won't get that because it'll cook evenly. So, huh. and it cooks faster, which is the best part. So instead of it taking an hour or an hour and 15 minutes for your chicken to cook through, it'll cook in, you know, for a small bird, it'll cook in 35 to 45 wow. minutes. And a bigger bird, it'll cook in maybe 40 minutes to 55 minutes. So it's fast, it cooks it better. It's really, that is one skill I say, learn how to do that and you're going to be in so much better shape. And then making a chicken will just be like, oh yeah, no problem, I got this. Okay. I'm going to spatchcock the heck out of that thing and we are good. (laughs) Exactly. And tell everybody they're eating a spatchcock chicken and everyone will be like, ooh, what's that? (laughs) Yes. How long does it take before you stop giggling every time you say spatchcock? I know, right? (laughs) If you want, you could call it a butterfly chicken. That's another way to say it. Oh, that's not nearly (laughs) as fun. It's so much more fun to say spatchcock, right? (laughs) Oh my goodness. So, So I think the New York Times cooking app is one of the greatest mobile phone apps ever ever created um from its functionality it's on my homepage on my iphone um uh so from the functionality to the community aspect of the comments it's just sheer genius so for the uninitiated tell us about nyt cooking nyt cooking i agree with you 100 percent. i think it's really good Mm -hmm. it's um an app that we created um And it's basically a portal into the New York Times, all of the New York Times um, cooking content. And what's great about it is that it's um, really easy to search. You can search the recipes pretty easily. And it's just got, you can use it on your phone, you can use it on your computer. And what's great about it is, aside from, I think the searching is amazing Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. you can really you know, narrow down, like, like I was saying, like, what do you have in the fridge? And what do you feel like making for dinner? You can put in, you know, chicken, broccoli under 15 minutes, and you'll get a recipe. Mm -hmm. Um, But another thing that's so great about it is the that at the bottom of each recipe, we have a place where people can write notes. And Mm -hmm. we actually specifically call them notes instead of comments, because Mm -hmm. we want people to write their cooking notes into the recipe. You know, and that way everybody can read them. And you can see, it's so fun to see how people vary the recipes. You know, like I, I write a recipe for, um, you know, chicken with caramelized lemons. And people will say, well, okay, I, this is great, except I made it with duck and I made it with cranberries. And it's just, <laughs> and it, and it's amazing. And it gives, and or people will have questions and they'll answer each other's questions. Oh, I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love it when that happens. Which is so helpful because you'll be in the middle of a recipe and you'll not understand something. And then you look in, you look through the notes and somebody else in the world also didn't understand the same thing. And then a third person came in and answered it. So I find it really helpful. I think it's very easy to use, which is key. Mm -hmm. And the photography is beautiful. So I do think that people should, you know, load it up on your phone or go, you know, go find it. It's NYT cooking. Yep. Yep. And also the notes, uh, maybe it's just some setting I have on my phone, but when I click on notes, it shows up as um, most helpful, I think is what it's called first, like not just the all ones, you know, because all would seem like the default one and it's most helpful. And um, so then sometimes that's enough. And I'm like, no, 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 I need to see more. And uh, yeah. And then also the (laughs) being able to organize it. um, I love that so that, you know, I can save it as Asian or chicken or vegetarian or whatever. And then not to disrespect the New York Times, but you can also then save outside recipes so that yeah the third party save is so helpful for people because then you're like oh i like this recipe 
Yep. I like Mark Bittman's, you know, quiche, but mm-hmm. you know what? So-and-so on Epicurious is a really good quiche too. Yep. I want to put it next to it and it's all right there. You can have a little oh. recipe box. Oh, I know. And so then, then, you know, you were saying like, find your favorite, you know, person or persons, you know, and then, or sources, and then use those go to over and over. And so then, you know, okay, so NYT cooking's definitely the top of the list for me, but there are a couple other sites that I like. And so then I can also save them in NYT cooking. So it becomes like this, you know, big group food hug that that just hooks me <laughs> up so um, so thank you and also you know that there's articles on there i mean i just like it sometimes i just read it to read it not even when i'm looking right. for a recipe yeah so. because it's the whole food section so mm-hmm. it's all the food content mm-hmm. aside mm-hmm. from the recipes yeah yep exactly yeah so um so your new book is about dinner um but do you have a go-to meal or drink for after a run Oh, okay. Yes. So, um, I love to do a smoothie. I, you know, it's, I, I like to say I've been doing smoothies before they became cool, but you know, (laughs) it was, it was just always one of those things, you know, since I've been running for so long and you know how after a run, you're just, you, you have to, you're starving and you're thirsty. Um, and so my favorite thing I do, I love to do a yogurt based smoothie because I want the protein and, um, I make my own yogurt. So I always have a ton of yogurt and I also have a lot of whey. If anybody out there happens to have whey from, you know, if you make yogurt, sometimes I make Greek yogurt. So I drain my regular yogurt and I get this whey and that becomes the basis for my smoothie. Um, And, you know, and then after that, I keep it. So that's the protein. And then I keep it simple. I just load it up with fruit and then that's it. I don't add, I don't have, because I'm using yogurt, I don't need to add protein powder. I don't don't really, I don't really like powdered things anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And and then a ton of ice, you know, just mm-hmm. a lot of ice because I want it cold. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Maybe a, a drop of honey if my fruit isn't super sweet or to balance out the yogurt if it comes out a little sour. And I just change it seasonally. Um, I don't sneak anything weird in there. I don't. <laughs> Sometimes I'll put ginger, fresh ginger root if I feel like I'm coming down with a cold. Uh-huh. But otherwise, I keep mm-hmm. it really simple. And, mm-hmm. um, and then it's just so yummy. Huh. So in, and the way I've seen is actually um... – Adrian, from up near where you are, further north, um, my brother went to St. Lawrence, and they sell like whey at like convenience stores up there. Oh, but they, yeah. they were like yeah. cur- they were curds. So the whey that you get from making your own yogurt is not like a almost like a hard cheese or a no. It's kind of a watery. Oh, okay. Uh, I can't quite describe it. You know it's... when you get a the big thing of yogurt, and if you stir it, kind of and let it settle, there'll be kind of like a watery substance that comes oh. to the top mm-hmm. that's kind of the way oh all right because otherwise i would think it's like putting little cheese clumps in your your smoothie so <laughs> that, that doesn't sound real appealing so oh, i don't know no that's the curd <laughs> part oh yeah yeah so you have your curds in your way so the chunks are the are the curds and then uh-huh. the liquidy stuff is the oh, way oh all right. that's the way all right yeah okay um, yeah. Although I, you know, if you had a nice ricotta, that would be good in a smoothie. I think that would actually, and it's another thing is if you ever have made your own ricotta, that mm. is another place yes. where you have oh. tons of whey left over. But ricotta is good. I mean, I like, I just, I like um, the tang of the yogurt. The ricotta mm-hmm. would make it a little bit thicker. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, when my husband was making, he went through a big smoothie phase and he was, he's the kind of guy who does like all the weird stuff in his smoothies, <laughs> like all the antioxidant stuff. And, you know, mm-hmm. he has the goji powder and the hemp powder and the, um, whatever, God, the chia golden seeds. flaxseed powder uh-huh. yeah, yeah, and right. the chia seeds. Yeah. Uh-huh. He does all that stuff and he puts vegetables in there too. He'll put kale in there. Not me. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's like, I like to think of it as like, you know, when you get a yogurt, you know, you make a yogurt bowl with fruit and yogurt. Right. And some honey. Uh-huh. So that just gets liquefied. Like and ice. <laughs> and really, really simple. <laughs> nice, nice. So partly on the recommendation of Adrian, I, I bought my husband an instant pot for his birthday, um, which, <gasps> which was in January. And but we have yet to christen it. Um, I don't eat beef and we don't eat a lot of other meats. And I'm starting to regret the purchase. No, no. Oh, my God. Did you read my article on Instant Pots? I wrote a whole article on it. I know you and- did. And, and I, I, I say I clicked save on, on my New York Times app and I have to go back to it. But um, so, you so just sa- have to dive in. Just, uh, just uh, beans. Uh, OK, people think beans. Instant Pots are just for meat, but they're amazing no. for beans. Uh-huh. All right. Um, so, it, so talk me through that. Okay. So one of my favorite things to do in an Instant Pot is I love, I love hummus. I love chickpeas. Chickpeas are, I, I could eat them at every meal. <laughs> and do you like chickpeas? Do I love, love, or? love chickpeas. Yep. Okay. Yep, yep. And I really think that they're so much better when you make them from scratch rather than from cans. They just taste better. They're better for you. And what's great about an Instant Pot is you can take the dry, you go to the store, you uh-huh. take the dried chickpeas, you don't have to soak them. Okay. Throw them in the pot with, this is important, you do use salt. So okay. don't worry about putting beans and salt together. It's fine. You put your, your chickpeas in, you add a lot of water, you add salt, and then I throw some, you know, whatever you want to flavor with. I like to throw some whole garlic cloves in there and maybe a celery uh-huh. and a bay leaf. Uh-huh. And then you set it for 50 minutes and that's it. And in 50 minutes, you've got gorgeous chickpeas swimming in this chickpea broth. And the broth is incredible. I use the broth instead of chicken broth when I make soups. Mm. Um, it's so tasty. And you can take those chickpeas and, you know, you can just turn them into a dish. You could actually make a whole chickpea soup right in the Instant oh. Pot at the same time if you threw tomatoes in. Um, but what I like to do is um, so I'll take them out and I'll, I'll save them in the fridge, you know, toss them with a little olive oil. And they'll keep for a few days. And then they go into everything. Mm. Um, You can make a curry out of them. You can make your own hummus in, you know, five minutes after they're cooked. It's such a good, that I would say, if you like chickpeas, make that the first thing you do. And you won't, just for chickpeas, it's worth it. (laughs) My $200 chickpea maker. Exactly. (laughs) But I mean, it's also, I mean, do you eat pork? I know you don't eat pork. I do do love pork. It's fantastic for pork. It's so good for pork. It's so good for... um, I mean, I made incredible chicken and dumplings. I don't know if that's mm. something you ever want to do, but it's mm. really good there. Mm. And soups and, we you know, we do bone broth or bone broth people. So mm-hmm. it makes a chicken soup or chicken broth or bone broth in a couple of hours. And it's it's super, it is super handy. I'm, I'm a big proponent. Okay. All right. Because see, because since I work from home, like to simmer, you know, a chicken carcass all day long is not you know, uh, that's, that's doable for me. So then I'm like, Oh, do I really need to go downstairs and bring up the instant pot and read the directions? And I'm like, no, I'm just gonna put it on top of the stove and call it good. I think once you really get the hang of it, you're gonna, I'm very intimidated by uh, technology. Should yeah, I? see, I was intimidated by having a very small bomb on my counter. Yeah. But once you get past that, it's really, I use it 
three, four times a week. So, oh, wow. Yeah, they're really great. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, Jack's really excited and, and he loves beef. So um, I think I just maybe need to go out of town and have him, um, you know, debut it and, and make something beef related and have his friends over to eat it or something. So. Well, I mean, what's great about it also is um, that, you know, the planning thing, mm-hmm. like it just gives you more options because mm-hmm. if you didn't plan, like it's, oh my God, it's four o'clock. What am I going to make for dinner? If you don't have an instant pot, you're what you can actually get on the table in that amount of time is pretty small. And so with an instant pot, you actually have a lot more choices because mm. it's like, Oh my God, you mean I can really actually make, you know, a pork roast and, you know, or like say your husband wants to make brisket, like he can do it in under an hour. And that's just not an option if you're starting at four, unless you have the, you know, this pressurized see, cooking. Yep. See, that's so funny because I, um, you know, so I have embraced a slow cooker or crock pot, whatever you want to call it. And, um, and I don't know, maybe those are two different things, but I consider them the same thing, but no, so, they're the same thing. okay. So, so yesterday made these really good, um, pulled pork tacos, but that involves, um, putting the pork tenderloins into the thing at around, you know, like, I don't know, one thirty, two o'clock. And there's so many times that that's what I'm planning on making for dinner. And then suddenly it's four, four thirty. I'm like, ah, oh, it only Wait, works if that's... you put the meat in it, you know? <laughs> yeah. But okay. So that, that if you already use a slow cooker, just think of an instant pot as a slow cooker, except it gets the food on the table a day faster. <laughs> so you take those same pork tenderloins, you put them in and they'll be ready in 20 minutes instead of four hours. See, I think I've but been... you don't do anything differently. Oh, okay. Because I, I don't. It just seems like getting it sealed and pressing oh, the right no. buttons and that. No. It just seems kind of like the the nuclear codes of of food, you know. So. <laughs> yeah, the first time you do it, it'll be like, oh my god, what am I doing? And then after you do it once, you'll like, oh yeah, I've got this. Okay. It's really identical to the the slow cooking process, except you have one more button to push. Oh, yes. okay. All right. It just seems and so it's, so vacuum packed. I don't know, like like I yeah, don't know, like there's frozen embryos in it or something. So, um, yeah. Unlike a crock pot, don't lift the lid. Oh, yep, the yep, yep. I've, Nothing good will come of that. Right. Yeah. I've read enough to know that. So maybe I'll also start with reading Melissa's uh, the article that I saved on the NYT. I, yes, I would start app. there. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and then make your tacos, make your pork tenderloin tacos right in the instant pot. Um, the only trick is add a lot less liquid. Oh, so okay. Not even a lot less, just a little less liquid. Okay. All right. All right. You're, if you uh, email me, I'll help you convert. Okay. <laughs> and, and also the, the, the other thing is I am really, well, in hearing you talk about the homemade yogurt, I mean, that was what tipped me, tipped the scales for me when, cause I knew Jack wanted this instant pot and I'm like, yeah, we don't need too much beef. And then I'm like, but I could make my own yogurt. And, yeah, you sure can. And, but you see sure then can. that, I don't know, like there's just a hurdle to get over. So I don't know, Melissa, come out and run a, a half marathon in, in Portland. And then, you know, you can stop by and show me how to do this. So, <laughs> but I, I guess that's what your videos are for that. I can bring you into my home without having you actually come visit. So, um, yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> okay. Although I do love Portland. Portland is one of my favorite places. So. Oh, good. Oh, good, good. And we have tons of great races. So once, once see, I think once you get bit by the Brooklyn, half bug then you know you're because because that's in your own backyard so you really need to expand and go run in places you're not familiar with and places you can't bail on you know be like oh i'll just stop here at you know cindy's house because i'm a little bit tired you know so um. (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) although i suspect your husband wouldn't let you do that maybe so there's a no not so much you know i i I was saying to him that he should start doing you know marathon tourism it's like let's just you know do marathons around the world but he only does one a year so that 
but you know, oh. but like half marathon tourism, oh. like where are some good half marathons? And then we go to an interesting place and run a race. Well, that's, yep. the, that's the whole reason why I did the Twin Cities Marathon, because I went there and I felt like I wanted to see more of the city and particularly this one street, Summit Avenue. And I'm like, oh, it's so beautiful, the homes. Oh my gosh, I just want to stare at them all day. And, you know, my pal was like, well, you know, the marathon goes right up this. And I'm like, yeah, well, at my pace, that would be, you know, I'd get to really look at them and enjoy them. So, <laughs> um, so there's something to that idea. So, well, great. Well, you have inspired me, Melissa. I will get out that Instant Pot. Um, I will start making that yogurt and the pork and everything. So thank you so much. It was a delight to talk to you. It was great to talk to you, too. All right. Thanks. Well, Adrian, you t- you t- are going to start that Woman Crush Wednesday uh, column right? on the site. And I got, well, right. Melissa Clark. She is my new woman crush. I just... <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic. Oh, my gosh. I just, I need somebody, I need a cheerleader like that to just push me out of my, oh, but I'm not, a, I'm not good at it. I don't know how to do it. Um, so, and I do love her. I think, yep. Yeah. You just got to start. Yep. Yep. And I do love it's like her. running, Sarah. Yeah. Just go, oh, that's good. I'm, I'm good at that. I can do that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, and I told Melissa, um, she and I did a little test on Zencaster, which is how we record our podcast, as you know, Adrian, but, um, I didn't have time to make a shopping list before I went to Trader Joe's on uh, Monday morning. And so I just brought her book with me and sat in the parking lot and made oh. my shopping list. Yeah. So Great. I'm trying a, pos- oh. a pasta dish of hers this evening. So I'm excited. And that book is absolutely gorgeous. Oh, oh my goodness. So go- although I wanted pictures for every recipe. Well, you know, I, I got an, greedy. In a perfect world. Yeah. 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 yeah but uh, oh, I mean, those case, I realize the quesadillas, um, they typically are a fairly pedestrian thing to make. This really elevates it to just so good. I mean, the whole family right. love them. So, and oh, really good leftovers too, which I love a good leftover. I do too. Yeah. 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 Well, I hope you enjoyed this show as much as we enjoyed recording it. And if so, we would love if you could please rate uh, our podcast on iTunes and write a quick, hopefully glowing review. Given the way that iTunes works, when a podcast gets reviews, it helps uh, other people find the podcast and helps podcasts find new listeners. So if, but if you're not a write a review kind of gal, then how about you tell a few friends about our show, maybe some gals in your running group, that young mother runner who just moved in down the street from you or all your pals on Facebook. Um, however you do it, please help us spread the word about the another mother runner podcast. We really appreciate it. Our podcast is a member of the ACAST network and our show today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from sounds like pictures. Many happy miles and many happy meals. <laughs> <laughs>